Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio, Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morrison and I continue our Pathways to Presence, um, talking about centering prayer. Uh, this is part two. Um, you can go back to last week in January to catch up on part one if you missed that. But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Uh, thank you to Jacob and Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. You can also go to drcrpod.com to find past episodes of this podcast. Um, also, we have launched the American Sign Language Translation of David's book, Desolate Beauty, the Book of Light and Shadow. Uh, you can pick up a, a hard copy of that at dreamwalkerway.com. And we will post the YouTube link in the show notes for you to check out the translation. Uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. David Morrison. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, my friend. <laughs> Um, when I asked you if you wanted to podcast earlier, you looked at me dead in my eyes and said, I'll be your Huckleberry. I said, Wyatt, I am rolling. <laughs> uh, welcome in listeners, friends, family, strangers. Um, we are going to do part two or... <laughs> part two of centering prayer and i started overthinking it open heart open mind our pathways to presence series open mind open heart i got it backwards <laughs> <laughs> it's because i messed so, it up in the beginning so uh 2023 we're doing pathways to presence again it's our monthly series um this year we're uh using uh basically this has become a series where we use a book as a roadmap as part of discussion, uh, greater discussion of David and I's um, interactions and evolutions and around different spiritual stuff. And Open Mind, Open Heart by Thomas Keating is the book for this month. And um, if anyone listened last week, you probably didn't pick up on it, but the audio book and the physical book have different, their chapters are in different orders. So we have decided to go with the order that the physical book is in. And so this week, chapter two is dimensions of contemplative prayer. And um, so maybe just to start out in case people didn't listen last month, could you give a little, the elevator pitch of what is, so this book is focused around centering prayer. Yeah, or contemplative prayer. Could you give a little elevator pitch to to kick us off on what is el contemplative prayer, a.k.a. centering prayer? Yeah, so contemplative prayer in this context is within, within the uh, gospel tradition, the Christian tradition. And it's specifically, it, it doesn't emphasize a formula or a technique, although there can be. Mm-hmm. But it's basically surrendering 
your faculty surrendering yourself to the presence of God um, and allowing the love of the Holy Spirit to transform you for better service, for a greater service, a deeper service to others in compassion. And I, I thought that was one of the interesting things about this this week's chapter was to talk about that specifically. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, sort of two banks, uh, you know, sort of the and purpose isn't even quite the right word, but sort of how this can lead to service and how that that is part of the process of the contemplative life. So, and that, that's another distinction we'll get into in a little bit. The difference between content, contemplative prayer and a contemplative life, life yeah, and sort of the. They're, they overlap, but it's different. But <clears throat> this idea of, of service being the outgrowth of that contemplative prayer and part of being in a contemplative life and sort of um, the, way I, the way I read it or understood it was um, that sort of helps us with the, the humility side of, of it. We, you and I, I don't remember if it was last week's episode but within within the last month we we had we talked about that idea of humility and sort of like um when someone's going around being like oh i'm i'm the most humble guy in in town it's a pretty good indication of of uh you know they're kind of having a faux humility to sort of prop themselves up in some way shape or form yeah um, so I, I guess, um, what, what sort of, what was your sort of takeaway from this, uh, from this chapter as far as, um, leaning into this idea of, of centering prayer? Yeah, it was a pretty dense chapter. Mm -hmm. So one thing that he does hit on that was very insightful, uh, even now, uh, and also, you know, when I first read it, I probably read this book in. 2006 somewhere out there and it's even more insightful now yeah. in a lot of ways so well and and this is my first time reading it for me hmm. and it's just amazing how insightful it is yeah um the first time through so go, didn't mean to interrupt yeah me. and so one thing that really hit was just the, um when when you begin to give yourself to prayer of any form, really, of uh, you know, and he specifically says contemplative prayer, mm -hmm. which is basically let me let me give a, a, a bird's eye view. Usually, we think of prayer as uh, you're you're gathering up your emotions and your concerns, and then you vocalize them so in some way, even through song, uh, or maybe through crying or laughing or, you know, these kinds of faculties. Right. So that's prayer. But then contemplative prayer takes over when that's exhausted mm -hmm. and there are no more words and you're sitting uh, in silence, basically. The and, and it hits to what John of the Cross wrote in Spanish in the uh, medieval period. Uh, and he wrote, uh, silence is the original language of God. Mm -hmm. Or, or another way I think he wrote it was, uh, uh, in the beginning, God spoke a word and he spoke it in silence. She mm -hmm. spoke it in silence. So, so when you enter into, uh, you know, kind of a, a silence where you're 
listening to the spirit, not, not to boost up your ego or, or to gain anything, but just simply listening. Um, that's where contemplative prayer comes to you. Some people, some mystics in the past would say that's a gift. Mm. It's a, the gift of contemplative prayer will come to you. Uh, you know, or, or some would call it the gift of, of assurance. The assurance of faith will come mm. to you, that kind of a thing. So, so he's, so what, what really hit me was that, uh, in your unconscious and what I mean by the unconscious is, uh, he means it psychologically. I think biblical language would be, uh, it's, it's an unfortunate translation, but the flesh, mm. uh, the physical world. Well, I don't think it means, I don't think Paul meant it. I haven't done a Greek study, right, but I think right, it means right. the egoic concerns. I see. Okay. okay. Uh, the concerns of the world, the concerns of propping up your false self yeah. or your external self, uh, that kind of thing. So those things, those emotions begin to flow and they flow in two directions. One will be um, self-aggrandizement, which mm -hmm. I've seen that in the charismatic world. Every prophecy, personal prophecy that people give, it really is just building up the ego. God is going to use you to change the face of ministry forever. <laughs> they do. They say things like that. No, it's I'm ridiculous. laughing because I, yeah. Uh, or it goes the other direction, which is self-abasement. Uh, you're nothing but a worm. I'm nothing. I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. And you've seen, you know, you see that in the Catholic world, especially, uh, you know, the more, uh, the more uh, self beating of myself, the more spiritual I am. And, and so contemplative prayer is ignoring both of those voices, mm -hmm. ignoring both of those streams uh, and being still and letting them pass through you. Well, um, it's funny because in sort of the recovery world, one of the things we talk about is like this idea of honesty, right? Yeah. And so those two things you talk about, <clears throat> We, we talk about in the recovery world of like um, thinking you're the biggest, baddest right. MF forever, you know, which isn't true. You're just human. Yeah. But then also this like victim, victim thing of like, oh, woe is me. I have the hardest life. I have the worst luck. Right. You know what I mean? Like everything bad happens to me. I'm a bad person yeah. because I did this and that. And it's like, well, no, that's not true either. Like that's just your right. ego propping yourself up again. And so yeah. like leaning into this, like, no, you got to be honest. Like, yeah, you probably did some things you're, you're shameful for, but sure. that doesn't make you a terrible person. And you probably do some good things. Like you yeah. do have some good qualities, but that also doesn't make you the biggest, baddest person ever. Right. right. It's like this middle road of like, honestly acknowledging who you are and how you live your life and not using it in this, uh, kind of what you're talking about this, uh, um, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to change the face, you know, right, instead yeah. of instead of the ministry side. Oh, I'm going to change the face of recovery. And yeah. I'm going to God is going to use me to save souls, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to heal the sick, to raise the dead. That is a very typical charismatic yeah. and Pentecostal uh, personal prophecy kind of thing. Yeah. I loved how they how they brought that up because he says he kind of said that e either or and it seemed as almost both are inevitable as you start at the beginning of this, you know, the, the idea of letting your, your pride right. fill up because you're getting these spiritual insights or you're having this spiritual practice or, or how did he, he said humiliating self-knowledge. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and sort of using that to, to beat yourself down and, and think you're, you're less than those around you. Um, the part that really blew my mind and I'm going to just read it straight out of the book. I'm not even going to, and it, it, it connected with me in such a, a real way because for two things, one, I love this idea of like going out and having adventures. Like, I think that is what sparked a lot of my travel throughout, mm. um, my adult life. And the um, Navy promised you that at their recruitment, right? <laughs> and, and they, well, they actually followed <laughs> that through on it. was slogan, something? <laughs> no, it was accelerate. When I joined, it was accelerate your life. Oh, oh boy. And I used to joke with, when I would come home on leave, I would tell people, it's like, yeah, you accelerate your life right into a brick wall. <laughs> it's like, good luck with that. You're a crash test dummy. Uh, yeah. Um, and then this idea of like figuring stuff out, like trying to use my my intellect or my knowledge or my experiences to try to figure stuff out, like, like figure life out. Right. And so the first paragraph of this book, excuse me, of this chapter, contemplative prayer is the world in which God can do anything to move into the realm is the greatest adventure. So that, that line right there caught my attention. It is to be open to the infinite and hence, and hence to infinite possibilities our private self-made worlds come to an end. A new world appears within and around us and the impossible becomes an everyday experience. You know, so right away that idea, greatest adventure. And then the next line, uh, our private self-made worlds come to an end. Yeah. Right. Cause that's what I want to do. It, it, I don't know if it, I think a lot of people do, but I know for me instinctively of like creating this self-made world, like, Oh, look what I did. Right. You know, and kind of like pat myself on the back type of thing, yeah. um, which is it, that's not real life. There is no even when you create something, it's like we've t- you and I have talked about recently multiple times. But the idea of like all the ancestors ahead of us had to make certain things possible for us. You know, right. the easy dumb one is electricity, right? Harnessing electricity. Yeah. So even this what we're doing right now can be. um can be a thing. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's not a private universe, so it's not the the danger. So, so when you hear a statement like that, God is is instantly relegated, and that's part of the process. I'm not to to being the genie, mm, right, and, right, right, know, or the or the Santa Claus, yeah, or the yeah, Santa yeah. Claus, and you know, and, and it's just you know, so you got to get beyond your middle school dreams, daydreams. You know, I remember, I just remembered walking home from school. In middle school, and I would imagine it would daydream while I was walking uh, that uh, that the men in black pull up next to me. And they're the CIA, and they're we've been watching you, and we think you're perfect for us. We're very impressed. And so they, yeah, so they train me, and they give me weapons, and they and I become the uh, a middle schooler uh, in Catholic school, right? Uh, saving the whole class from the Russians. <laughs> That's from the Soviets, right? And so, so you got to get beyond those, you know, those uh, as dumb as that sounds. But uh, you know, we if we don't let go of that, they become more serious. Mm-hmm. But we don't realize how dumb they really are. Well, I think, I think, I mean, not not to get too political, but I think a lot of the people that stormed the Capitol, 
in their minds, oh, yeah, that's yeah. what they were doing. Fantasy they were world. they were they were saving yeah. capital or not capitalist. Well, Demo- capitalism, yeah. but democracy. You know what I mean. Right, and so, right. if if we don't mature in our outlooks on life, right. then we can be extremely susceptible. I mean, I think it's true with you know the the QAnon stuff, the yeah. um, you know the Proud Boy stuff. The right. um, yeah, it's all based on fantasies. What's, what's the the ones in all black? That were in Portland. Anyways. Portland probably has several. <laughs> What's that? Uh, yeah. And they don't realize democracy went extinct with ancient Greece. So, you know, come right. on. I'm just kidding. I was quoting uh, Philomena uh, Kunk. Well, no, I mean, but there has been like reports of that we actually live in an oligarchy. Right, yeah, run yeah, by big big companies. And ancient which, Greece was kind of the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> it so wasn't it's really like, a full di- direct democracy um, for sure. They they just let us uh, they let us vote. It's very nice of them. Yes, <laughs> they let us. Go, and soon pull, it'll be our AI overlords <laughs> instead of our CEO overlords. Um. So so I guess one of the things that uh, is is fascinating to me. Um, you know, for me, I, I feel like I'm relatively new to this idea of, of a, a contemplative life and, and um, you being a little bit more seasoned vet, if you will. Um, Old is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, so I guess as, as you're revisiting this book, having had some life experience with the contemplative life, um, what are those things that are you feel reassured about or um, validated maybe um, just in your practice? Yeah, definitely. It's so much easier now to identify and then ignore, release, and surrender those uh, those two voices that are that are in your head. Mm. Uh, the one, like I, I said, one uh, self-aggrandizing your, yeah. yourself, uh, and the second. Uh, uh, demeaning yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being, and so realizing, yeah, those to be at a much, so, so 15 years ago, it was a more of a wrestling with those. Mm, it was okay. a wrestling to be able to acknowledge. To, yeah. To ignore them, mm. to just allow them to pass through. Uh, and, and not seeing even then 15 years ago, the connection, uh, well, how do you do that? Well, you, you live between what he, he gives the image of two banks of a river. Mm. The one bank is your dedication to God, which is your, whatever your spiritual practice is. The other is your service to others. Right. And so, and then, and then the contemplative life and the contemplative experiences, the river that flows between mm. them. Uh, so you keep yourself, yeah, along those two banks or flowing in that river between those two banks. Uh, yeah, you kind of get over yourself after a while. And I guess just growing old too. Maybe that's, I don't know. I've met a lot of old people that haven't gotten over. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if just aging, I I, I think it. Yeah. Maybe it's not a natural progression. If you, if you keep yourself between those two banks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think time does add to that, right? Like you're not just going to get, well, who knows, but I think trying to stay between those two banks during the aging process helps yeah. in that in that way. The so I might be reading too much into it, but I would be interested if you'd be willing to talk about it. It seemed like um over the last year and this is 100% my perspective. You and I have not talked about this, I don't think. 
Um, but this idea of kind of beating yourself up or, or putting yourself less than, yeah. um, with the, with the book project specifically, it seems like you've overcome some of that, um, through the writing process, through the editing process, yeah. through the re-editing process, through the, you know, finalization. And I, I don't know, have you witnessed anything in that within yourself specifically about your writing and your creative process? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, it wasn't as stressful putting it out there uh, in the sense of being scrutinized. Mm. Uh, it's It's what I have if it's, horrible to others and it's horrible to others. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's perfect for haiku anyway, because it's yeah. so, uh, it's poetry is already weird. For sure. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then haiku, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like subjective. what Tom Hirons told me. He said, if haiku, you know, it's three lines with syllables of five, seven, five. And if you can't reach someone with that, then you're not going to reach them. Because, <laughs> you know, if they can't bear with you for three lines, <laughs> right. we just recorded one. What was it, 10 seconds, five yeah. seconds yeah. long? Uh, and so, so it's, yeah, so it's been a good format for me to, to hide myself in that so mm. that, you know, I'm not overly exposed. Right. Uh, you know, so, yeah, and then not trying to be someone I'm not, yeah. you know. Uh, and not trying to be less than, you know. And so yeah, exactly. Being being realistic. Yeah. Being this is honest what I have about to offer. This is what I've written. This is what I'm doing. And there you are. You know, what can I what can I say? There's a million books out there, a billion <laughs> books. Yay, I put one more out there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's mine though. Yeah, exactly. You know, and 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 you know, for my, you know, obviously I'm biased, but it's good. You know what well, I mean? Thank it's you, not, sir. it's not like it's it's not like uh, it was just thrown together nonchalantly. Yeah. Like, oh, let's no. just put this into the world. No, definitely love and dedication and work was put into it. Well, from and, the formatting to the art to the to the fonts. You yeah, know, everything was very, yeah. very intentional. Yeah, for sure. As it should be, in my opinion. Which, which is the reward, actually, for me. Yeah. That intentionality and that, yeah, it's it's a reward. The process itself really is rewarding. Well, even uh, I don't. I should probably announce it. We're going to be releasing the sign language video oh, here yeah, recent, ASL, yeah. very soon. And one of the things going through that process was the having it centered versus left, not adjusted. What's it called? The uh, justified? Yeah, left justified. You know what I mean? And when we reviewed viewed it, you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I want yeah. it. I would like, I would prefer it left justified. Yeah, and you're like, wow. it's not that big a deal. And it's like, well, is that what you want? And it's like, yeah, like that intentionality of like, yeah, let's do it that way the because way text we can. looks justified looks right. And so I think that's a, a simple example, but a good yeah. example of like, um, the sort of your, uh, your eye and your, um, intentionality with this project you know yeah, and you could see and it us. in i'm sorry i didn't mean to no no go, go, but go you can see it in different magazines even you know uh, even their online versions mm-hmm. uh the new yorker magazine is a sharp looking mm-hmm. mag always has been yeah that distinctive font that whole thing it's sexy mm-hmm. you know yeah it makes me want to read it you know so yeah. and if nothing it makes you want to at least flip through it yeah, like exactly. when you walk by a table and there's a New Yorker on it. Yeah, you want to pick that one. I up. don't really read the New Yorker, but I might sit there. You know, if it's there, 
yeah. and flip through it for five or ten minutes and read some of the comics, maybe read an article because it looks good. It, it does. Aesthetically, yeah. it looks nice. Very nice. I remember losing my shit over <laughs> what a, kind of a nerd I am. I was probably 15 or 16 when uh, USA Today, the newspaper, <laughs> the kids out there look it up on Wikipedia what a newspaper was. They, they used to be these physical things yeah. that you would buy. This is pre-internet. Imagine a world of infi uh, infinite possibilities before the internet. <laughs> and uh, But it was the first uh, newspaper uh, printed in color. Uh -huh. And it was just a beautiful thing. And I just, I bought it. It's know? so it's so funny because I remember it. And I wanted to work for them. From <laughs> staying at hotels. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's, they would always yeah. have a copy of it there on that's the That's right, on the all thing sharp is, looking yeah. inside that. <laughs> Either they'd lay it on a counter very nicely, or it's really nicely placed uh -huh. in that in that uh, the newspaper. What was it? A dispenser? Or? Yeah, where you'd throw the. Anyways, and you felt important to buy a newspaper. You, I'm an important person. <laughs> well, I'm purchasing a newspaper. Even for me, it was like, oh, we don't we don't have anything like that in Las Cruces, New Mexico. But here we are. You know, pick whatever random yeah. town we were in you know, Tucson or Denver or something. And then it gets extra special. You go to a, a library and they got them on sticks. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they do that now, but, but they'd have them yep, on these yep, sticks. Yep, yep. The wall street journal. So you could USA go, Today. It was just a special time and feeling to go read a newspaper oh, at the library. In fact, I think one time I went to visit my uncle and he was very much into the, you know, trading and stock market and all that. So he subscribed to the wall street journal and I wanted to read the Wall Street Journal because yeah. I looked up to this dude. And so I, I can remember a couple of times going to the library and getting the the Wall Street Journal on a stick. And, and yeah, that one was attractive to me it. because of the <laughs> the sketches that they would do of the the commentary, the writers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's so cool. Yeah. I don't it give wasn't a, a picture. crap about the economy or Reaganomics and all that. But. Oh, Jesus. Man, um, you just took me down to the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to circle us back, um, I, I, so I guess the one of the things I would be interested in talking with you too is is he doesn't spend a lot of time on it, but I do think it's important. Um, he does make we mentioned we referred to it earlier, but this he differentiates contemplative prayer from contemplative life. Right. And sort of, you know, sort of uh, he he. And I don't know if he gets into it more later in the book, but in this chapter specifically, he he brings it up and says, you know, we're talking about contemplative prayer, which is a part of contemplative life, but is yeah. not contemplative life. And so maybe you could spend a few minutes of like uh, dissecting that as far as your understanding of contemplative prayer versus a contemplative life. And what, what sort of yeah. what does that mean to you personally today, you know, 2023? I guess the way that I would describe it would be contemplative prayer is whatever intentions and rituals and prayers or practices that you intentionally and willfully employ in your life to connect with God, to connect with the infinite, to connect with uh, being itself, what, you know, whatever your, your bag is. Uh, to put it very plainly as a Christian would be to get closer to the Lord. Be the, right, right. A very, so, so those, so that's your practice. That's your prayer. And there comes a point where 
something flips. It may be a very gradual thing or it may be an incident or an experience. It may be an incident in, in circumstances in your life that happen or it may be uh, a vision, a, a, a spiritual experience. It could be mm. that or a combination or a series of those things or it could be a very gradual thing that you never even realize happens to you. A lot of people never even realize it. Mm-hmm. It's happened and, uh, and they doubt themselves often but then so so you have a prayer practice that you're doing contemplative practice but then your life becomes the prayer your life is praying um if that makes any sense your life becomes the prayer right uh your life uh instead of seeking an ecstatic experience in in life uh you begin to just live ecstatically if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, and I don't mean just in a positive, joyful way. Right. I mean, right, very right. much vividly alive in every experience that you're, you're with, no matter how ordinary, by the way, he hits that a lot. Ordinary, the ordinariness of life, you see the extraordinary within it. Um, everything is alive in that sense. So, well, and I think, you know, not to circle back, to the title of the series book presence. Yeah. You're just a hundred percent present to what life is, what, yeah, what your life is in that moment, you know, in that, in that day, in that context. Um, and knowing too, maybe not, uh, but just knowing it in a, in a, organic way not really having to think about it but just knowing that this whatever whatever today is it's going to change it's going to be different you know good bad and different a week from now is going to be different tomorrow is going to be different 10 years from now is going to be different and and just but not not being connected to that either just but just still just knowing that you know being fully present fully um how did you say it ecstatic yeah uh living ecstatically Rather than living for ecstatic experiences, yeah, yeah, uh, the Protestant tradition would probably call it, particularly the Methodists, would call it the experience of sanctifying grace. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they have to break those things out. You know, there's prevenient grace. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, divide up the graces. <laughs> yeah, they divide it up. They love to do that because they're Methodists, right? Justifying <laughs> grace, and then there's sanctifying grace. And so, yeah, it's this experience of sanctifying grace where you are living in willingness rather than willfulness. Mm-hmm. You have a willingness about you to whatever's in front of you. You're willing to, to serve, willing to be, willing to, uh, to be exposed to the love of God through whatever circumstance and people. That's a, an experience of sanctifying grace. Whereas when you're more willful, I'm going to to employ this strategy mm-hmm. and this calculation, that would be more of a, a justifying grace situation. So, well, it's funny too because in recovery, a lot we talk about we talk about this idea of God's will, which is it's very abstract, right? It's 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 a pretty tough thing to yeah. do, and and um, one of the ways I've heard it described is like, you know, you have your I have my will, my willpower. And it's like when I, when I, the challenge, or maybe not even the challenge, but but part of the process of these twelve steps is to help 
help me align my will, what I identify with my will, to align it and overlap it as much as possible with God's will. You know, and, and sort of living in that, going back to this idea yeah. of like between the two, between the two shores, right? My practices in and around recovery around the 12 steps, which include all these things we're talking about, prayer, yeah. meditation, service, contemplation, reflecting. Um, when I when I overlap that, it, it allows me to easily stay between the two passive service and, and um, practices. Yeah. Um, which, you know, even, even, you know, I've, I've been sober 14 years. So I've been engaged with the 12 steps for that long in some way, shape or form. And, and it's still, it's still a tough thing to do to intellectualize. I think, I think early on in sobriety, that's everyone wants to intellectualize yeah, it. Yeah. And then you get into the experience of it yeah. and then you realize it's even more difficult to intellectualize yeah. than early on. Um, yeah, that's a good point. A twelve-step application to it would be contemplative prayer would be your initial waking up to sobriety, and then the prayer, the contemplative prayer would be go, uh, going to meetings and learning the twelve steps, and then willfully practicing. You know, each step that right, you're right. on, and you work with a sponsor, and. But then there comes a point where you may notice it or you may not notice it. Usually the people around you. I was going to say, usually outsiders notice yeah. it before you do, for sure. And your life is living naturally the 12 steps. The 12 steps are are, are expressing themselves, if you will, through you. Uh, and, what, you're, and you're firing on those pistons, you know. It's funny. I have a very concrete example of that. Um, but a family member... So, so I... I had nine months and I invited, I was happened to be in, in Crucis. I'd gotten sober in Phoenix and I might've already shared this story, but a family member of mine was there and during the meeting identified as an alcoholic mm-hmm. and has been sober ever since. And I never once preached to them the idea of sobriety or AA because I ne- it never yeah. crossed my mind that they might be an alcoholic. I see. Um, but because they had seen the change in me. And of course, this we didn't talk about this at the time it happened. This was like years later. But okay. they had seen that they had been to A before and was not interested in it. They felt very different then. And then they saw the change in me of me just doing the 12 steps and being active in it. And when I would talk to them about it, I was just talking about my experience. I was never yeah. from like, I was never like calculating. Like yeah, we were you should go about to the early. meeting yeah. with me. Yeah, the you only should accept Jesus Christ as your personal exactly, Lord and Savior. Exactly, exactly. And the only reason they happened to be there is because I was picking up, you know, I was celebrating nine months of sobriety and I wanted my family there, you know what I mean, to like right. to be a part of that celebration. And so um so for me, that was a beautiful lesson early on of like, I just need to do the shit. And if someone asks me about it, I'll talk to them about it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I've fallen short. I have preached to people about it because yeah, yeah, they, seem to, they seem to be fucking up their life. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, it always goes so much better when I just step into this place of trying to live what I think a, recover, a man in recovery would live their life. Yeah. And have someone approach me and ask me about it or pull me aside or give me a call than me trying to hound someone down. 
You know right. what I mean? And it's it just it's very it's counter it's the most counterintuitive thing ever, um, because we're you know we're back to this like Western idea of like go out there get it yeah, you know yeah. get get money like take the initiative and it's like in some in some areas of life that might be might be sound advice but in my experience and I don't know if this is in your experience too but just just trying to live these practices these spiritual practices so to speak and let them speak for themselves yeah uh, seems to be a, a much better evangelizer than anything else I've 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 come across so yeah. I don't know booyah <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to add about the spiritual practices no, versus spiritual? No. The life itself. Or c- contemplative, I mean. Yeah, the life just, I think, unfolds through the practice and yeah. whatever your practice is. And, and the, you know, and you don't, in my experience, the, the more time that you give to that practice, the less you analyze it, mm-hmm. the less that you, you know, do all that. So. Yeah, get into the the critical mindset of it. Yeah, it's not. Um, one of the other things that, and this might've been beside, but that first paragraph really blew me away that I read earlier. But the other thing that really caught my attention and, and kind of got me thinking about, cause I, I, I've fallen victim to this, so to speak, but he articulated in such a way that to not, when you have a spiritual experience or you witness something that seems to be of God or from God, to not confuse that with God itself. And the example that he kind of put it up to the mirror with was this idea of a prism. And when light hits the prism, the prism breaks it up and you see all the different... Right spectrums of light and then and there's light that we don't see right that's the other thing like yeah. there's spectrums that the human eyeball doesn't even see and um and so to not you know each spectrum is beautiful in its own right but that's that spectrum is not light itself right, right? and so i i would be curious to sort of hear your experience or your um sort of this idea of confusing something of god for god itself um, and you know, yeah, what, what that, what that sort of means to you or what you've witnessed in and around that. Cause I just thought it was such a great explanation. Yeah. We all do this. It's, it's part of the, the ego, the flesh, the sin nature is another scriptural term that's used. Uh, this, this possessive nature that we have. Mm. And so so yeah, so and we don't do and we don't just do it with God, we do right. it with everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and I think I've mentioned this before, but James Joyce defined pornography as beauty that you are attempting to possess, mm. control and manipulate in some way. Uh own and so it becomes it devolves into pornography and and so uh that's what we do. So we try to to control another in a relationship. I don't know if anybody has ever tried to do that. Uh, <laughs> try to make someone conform to your expectations, your demands. We try to make reality itself conform to what we expect and demand. And the maturing process is uh, 
realizing you, you can't do that. You're not in control of that. You're powerless. And so you accept that and then you move from there. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we do the same with God. So we have an experience. I've seen people also get triggered there. So that, so they had what I believe was a very, very legitimate experience of the divine, Mm. but it triggers some of their, uh, their neuroses. Interesting. Right, so I've right, seen, right. yeah. So I, I've seen, I remember one person, uh, this is a very intellectual person too, a mm-hmm. very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, a cognitive rational okay. kind of person intellectualizes a lot of things, but they had a, an experience and it triggered a manic episode in them and they didn't sleep for like four days wow. and they went on the YouTube and, argued with the anti-Semites. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, as soon as you're in the YouTube comments, you know you've gone yeah, too far. Well, and If you're engaging with them, I guess. All <laughs> night long for several days, yeah. Right, right. And, and he printed out what he wrote. It was, <laughs> it was about 100 pages where he printed out these comments on the string and airmailed them to me. Like overnighted them? Yeah, overnighted mailed it to oh. me so I would read it all. And then I, I told him, I'm not reading any of that. <laughs> and I'm sorry you spent that money. Uh, and then he came out of the, and he recognized yeah, 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 it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was in a manic. Right. So, so this divine experience, which was legitimate at its origin, mm-hmm. triggered. So he was going to take on all the anti-Semites of the world. During, yeah, of course. So, so that can happen to a lot of people. Uh, or it could trigger your, uh, your, tra- your traumas. Mm-hmm. It's like Bede Griffiths, Father Bede Griffiths, another... Uh, Great one said uh, in, a, in a very British accent, uh, and I'm quoting him exactly. Weird shit begins to happen when you pray. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but <laughs> in our our hearts and minds, I think he, he said did. strange things. Yeah, right. strange and wonderful things begin to happen when people begin to pray together. Sorry, my pants are very noisy. I should are they? Yeah, they're noisy pants. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and so I I forgot what we were. Yeah. So so our natural egoic. Uh, tendency is to try to define, control, name, uh, and manipulate whatever experience we have with God. Yeah. And then that's called theology often. Mm. It's called creeds. It's called scriptures. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. we, uh, and, we, and we try to cement it. Codify it. Yeah, codify it and say, this is, this is the way God will always act everywhere, you know. And, uh, and so... That's kind of, yeah. And I think the um, the other thing too. I, I and I think it's funny because sharing that your friend's experience and and it refers to it in the book, but I think about it from time to time. Is uh, you know the story of the transfiguration. Three of the disciples are with Jesus. They freak out. You know, one of them freaks out. Oh, we got to rem- you know we got to codify it and put you know keep keep something here to signify what happened and um so so i think it for me at least it's it's a that's a promising story of the realization like you said earlier we all do this yeah it's it's a a very human human thing yeah um and not just in the spiritual world right in in everyday stuff relationships uh you know whatever it might be because it that black and white thinking on a certain level helps us navigate through the world right. and, you know, and, and participate in this thing called society. Um, and that's part of the wisdom of uh, Judaism 
and and then later Islam, they they it's very important in Islam as well to never uh, construct an image mm. of the divine, um, and so it, it gets misunderstood. You know, oh, right. that's just this legalism, and there no the the spirit behind it is don't think that you can approach the divine thinking you know anything. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's to combat that tendency to control and manipulate and name and categorize the divine. So when it goes back to that, for me, it goes back to this idea. I, I, I'm just really blown away by this, um, the imagery of the, of the prism, right. And the light hitting the prism right, and, right. and getting split up and just thinking that a part as part of the divine of like how many things in my life, you know, and, and probably on a relative, you know, on a certain scale, it's very few things, right? But how many different things I've experienced or connected with the divine, right? And and to now think about that of like, oh, that was only one spectrum of light yeah. of this much bigger thing of like what you said, my mind can't even comprehend. Yeah. And I've kind of had that idea of my mind being unable to comprehend it. I, I feel like I, that was actually one of the things I think I, I caught on to in recovery pretty early because I was we talk about this idea of a higher power. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly how it came about, but it's like, oh, I'm never going to fully comprehend it. It's just a matter of seeking what this, yeah. what this whatever this is, whatever this higher power is, just seek after it. And, and you know, it's it's the Richard War quote about yeah. chasing the ass through the through the forest. And, yeah. If you don't do it, you're never going to catch it. And yeah. when you do it, you're not going to catch it either. But it's it's participating and and um, just, you know, going down that path in some way, shape, or yeah. form. It's, it's very easy to say, to claim, and usually groups of people when they get together, we have the fullness of divine light. We possess it. We have the truth. Mm -hmm. We have the, the, the fullness of all light for all time. Uh, rather than say, no, I'm going to live fully in the light that I have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to live fully in that. What does that mean for me to live fully in the light that I've received? Rather than claiming I have the fullness of all light. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah, you could be so dazzled by colors of the prism and, and the effects of light and shadow. Somebody ought to write a book about the relationship between light and shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Dreamwalkerway.com, folks. <laughs> Desolate beauty. <laughs> Yes, uh, we got the plug in. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So concentrate on living fully in that light instead of the other, you know. And so, well, and it's it's just you saying that right now. Like it's like yeah, like it it really is so common for uh, groups of people or you know even individuals to say I got the full spectrum, I got the true light, I got the yeah. real light. And it's like well, if you think about actual light, it's like you can't box up light right? right like sure you can uh produce it whether it's a light bulb or something you know a laser or something but that yeah. that's just a, a form of light it's not light itself right and um but how common it is for us to not only for people to to say that but for for you know and i've been guilty of it for sure to buy in like oh yeah this is this is the the full best light yeah. over here and it's like no it's just it it's just a form of light and it is you know it probably has transformed some people's lives for the better and, and whatnot. And, but, uh, but then the hard question of like looking in the mirror and be like, okay, what light do I hold 
and how can I yeah. engage and how do I live in that life? Yeah. Cause that's tough. It's easy yeah. to get the light that's from the, the outside. <laughs> that's the ordinary work and the everyday work as opposed to the grandiose false self yeah. fantasy world that, that we yeah. tend to, and that can happen in any, it's not just in the religious world or the spiritual experience. Mm. That's, you know, our political party, People do even do it with professional teams. I yeah, mean, it's like, yeah. give me a break. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the so-called stats, uh, this, uh, you know, whatever, this this particular team has never done this. It's the first time. Mm -hmm. And it has no connection to the 1950s team. Right. There's the same people that are not even, you can't. Well, and, and, and is, I mean, football is <laughs> a good. They do it all the time, in yeah. baseball especially. Football is a good example because the way the rules have changed. There was a part, there was a, Time in, well, maybe not professional football, but in football where you weren't allowed to throw the ball forward. So that was a real right. change, you know what I mean? And, yeah, now, yeah. and now some teams throw the ball percentage-wise more than they run it. Yeah. So, you know, so it's always evolving and changing. Exactly. So, yeah, so doing like, what you're you know, taking those teams from the 50s or the 40s or whatever and being like, oh, well. And, and, and yeah, and implying because they have this stat that it's going to affect that particular game today, that day. Right, right, right. right. It's like, yeah, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. Statistically, they are yeah. absolutely not connected. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, history doesn't doesn't allow you to predict that. Yeah, the, it's, the, I, the I think they call it the gambler's fallacy, I think, yeah. right? The, yeah. You know, I've rolled the dice. It's, uh, I, I said it's uh, six is going to come up. It hasn't come up in 10 rolls. So six is definitely <laughs> going to, no, it, it, statistically, it couldn't, uh, Take three million rolls. <laughs> right. So it has nothing to the previous roll has nothing to do with the next roll. So anyway. But our, our uh but our brains our, yeah, I was gonna say our animal minds like like to say otherwise. And so we do that yeah, with with the divine. We want we want patterns that we can control just so we can feel safe and you know, that kind of thing. So um so we're we're coming up coming up close to the hour not not quite there but I, I don't know if there's anything else uh, as far as this chapter of dimensions of con contemplative prayer that um is still on your mind or you wanted to touch on um before we we called it a day um yeah if there's just anything else you wanted to uh his last example of the transfiguration was pretty pretty amazing uh should i just read it or? yeah uh hopefully it's not too long but uh Um, such, he, he says, uh, such was the situation on Mount Tabor, uh, when the apostles witnessed the glory of God shining through the humanity of Jesus, they fell on their faces. Our experiences of God, however, are not God as he or she in herself. Uh, God as he is in himself cannot be experienced empirically, conceptually, or spiritually. God is beyond experience of any kind. This does not mean that God is not in uh, sacred experiences, uh, but that God transcends them. To put this insight in another way, God leads us, leads us by means of sacred experiences to the experience of emptiness. Anything that we perceive of God can only be a radiance of God's presence and not God as he, she, uh, himself, herself. When the divine light strikes the human mind, it breaks down into many aspects, just as a ray of ordinary light. And that's when he goes into the prism. Yeah, the prism, you, yeah. You talked about. So, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to 
No, it's beautiful. It, it's retroactively steal the thunder. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I mean the whole, um, the whole chapter and the whole the whole book. Is, yeah. So is definitely yeah. Been, I mean the last sentence was, um. So so they have this amazing experience of seeing Jesus transfigured, and they see all this this stuff, and they respond. They hear voices. They they fall on their faces. Uh, but this this is what's very interesting. It says, uh, the voice from heaven awakened their consciousness to the presence of the Spirit who had always been speaking within them, but whom until then had uh, they had never been able to hear. Mm. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Their interior emptiness was filled with the luminous presence of the divine. Um, at Jesus' touch, it says that, you know, Jesus wakes them up touching them they returned to their ordinary perceptions and saw him as he was before but with the transformed consciousness of faith see it flipped from what they saw in front of them to it being inside of them they no longer saw him as a mere human being their receptive and active faculties had been unified by the spirit the interior and exterior word of god had become one for those who have attained this consciousness, now I would disagree with the word attained, but well, I don't yeah. think it's something that you 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 obtain or you know. Well, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier: this idea of a gift. Yeah, daily life uh, becomes a continual and increasing revelation of God. The words they hear in Scripture and in the liturgy confirm what they have learned through the prayer that is contemplation. So that inner life and the outer life begin to line up begin to be in unity uh and then and then yeah the the revelation of god continues and increases in the ordinariness of life that's that's a great line yeah. sorry i didn't mean to no it's beautiful man thank you thank you sir i think that's where we land the plane here we are here we are um thank you all for listening once again uh dispatches from the verge Desert Rain Community Radio. Thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Mr. Jacob Nedia. That's what you hear in the background with the monk drums. Um, TheRuin.com if you want to learn more about um, Desert Rain Community or um, follow any of David's writing as well as DreamWalkerWay.com is where you can pick up the book Desolate Beauty, The Book of Light and Shadow. And drcrpod.com is where you can find other episodes of this. Uh, do you have anything else, Mr. Morrison? Oh, thank you all. Thank you Out all. Out there in podcast land. And until next week, have a good one.